I am Sam J. Jones, Flash Gordon. Okay. Oh, okay. excuse me. That's okay. It's been a long day. <laughs> the dome always does that to me. Okay. It's good to be seen. It really is. And you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Bye by Saturday night. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the new year of Area 51 recordings of Sci-Fi Saturday Morning. It used to be Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Um, well, it kind of technically still is Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We're running through a rebranding process where we're thinking about changing the name. I'm not sure why we're doing that. Oh, well, I'm sure why I'm doing that. And the rest of the company is not sure why I'm doing that. Um, I received a lot of letters this week from the board of directors and a number of the major stockholders telling me that Elon Musk has decided that he wants to buy the company out from under me and uh, put an edit button on the website. I'm not sure what that means. I don't much care for it. So I'm not going to let that happen. This is the only podcast guaranteed to remain carbon neutral throughout the rest of the fiscal year. I am your vaccinated host, The Dome, and this is episode 521. That's right. For 520 episodes, we've wasted your time. We're doing it once more. Tonight is another mask-mandated quarantine episode evening here in Area 51. In this episode, you know... It's another one of those really cool space opera shows that I really like. Uh, and we're going to get to that in a minute. Joining me tonight is, once again, my buddy and yours, the amazing Captain Cam breakfast cereal god extraordinaire. Captain Cam, how are you tonight? Oh, I'm doing good. I've got my snap, my crackle. Uh, don't know where Pop got off to, but you know. Yeah, I, I got two that. out of three. <laughs> two out of three ain't bad. Thank you, Meatloaf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's so what I what's, made my meatloaf what's out of. What's going on? Let's see. Uh, ooh, got to share this one for you. Watched an interesting video on YouTube. Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, it actually was really this, good. This it could get real weird really quick, but okay. It was, it was, what it was, was Cam weird. watching? <laughs> It was YouTube, so it can't be that good. (laughs) (laughs) So it was an interview with Alan Moore. And I'm thinking, ooh, this sounds interesting. It's a clip from it, of course, not the whole interview. And I'm thinking, okay, let's give this a shot. And it's Alan Moore, and the title is what drew me in. It's Alan Moore, Read Terrible Books. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 
Well, that's, my that's really kind of space. the antithesis of what we do here, because yeah, we yeah. don't think you should read terrible books. We think you should read good books. So what's the point of this? Well, you see, I was wondering the same thing. So, you know, I think YouTube planned it that way. So, they, you know, they draw me in and it worked. You have won YouTube. Damn you. So anyway, um, but what Alan Moore was speaking to was potential authors. And actually, okay. once I listened to it, it was absolutely brilliant. What he said was, you know, go ahead and read great books. Read the books. Read the books by the authors you love. Read those fantastic stories. But also read the terrible ones and be careful when you read the good ones. He said you, you could fall into the pitfall of as you're reading great books of wanting to write exactly like those authors, you know, do the things that they do amazingly well and unintentionally plagiarize them. And he said, so you have to be careful of that. But he said, you should also very much read those terrible books that you normally avoid. He said, read them, consume them, and, and understand what it is in those books. Look inside yourself and understand them. What in those books makes you think that it is terrible? What is it that is broken within that story? Dissect it. Understand it so that you can then go ahead and become a great writer yourself. You can understand what didn't work and then try to make those improvements in your own writing. And I tend to agree with him. I think from a lot of the authors, you know, we've we've talked to, you know, it's like understanding what goes on inside you, understanding, you know, what makes you a great author. I mean, that's half the questions we ask the, the authors that come on this show is what makes you really good at what you do. And I think that's that's a great thing to do is to look at what you think is, is done right and what you think is done wrong and then build on that, understand that and, you know, make yourself a better author. So there's a whole bunch more to the interview somewhere. I've got to find it, but so, I just oh, love listening okay. to them. So this brings to mind two ideas. Idea number one is let's put a link in this week's podcast so that if anybody's actually interested in watching that YouTube video, they can. And we should also start like a kind of semi-annual or semi-podcastly event called What's Cam Watching? <laughs> <laughs> So I, think I, can, I think I can <laughs> groundskeeper Willie when he said to uh, to uh, Bart, you know, not to use the shinning, not to be confused with the shining, not to mm -hmm. use the shinning on certain times of the week because that is Willie's time. <laughs> 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 but yes, let us let us let us do this in the future. You know, semi, every, every once in a while we can we can have another episode of what's Cam watching. I think that exactly. would be fun. So, all right. Yeah. So now it's your turn to ask me how my week was. And Dome. Let's get to yes. the author. No, no. How is your week? How is your week, Dome? Well, I got a really <laughs> interesting email from our friend and pal and writer, producer, director, musician, George O'Connor. Ah, very, very and, nice. And, yeah. And uh, well, it, it would have been great if it was a personal email. But in this particular case, uh, I subscribe to a bunch of author newsletters. 
And George is one of the ones that I really like because it's always so fresh and irreverent and 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 fun. And you never know what the hell he's going to talk about. I especially like the one uh, where he and his brother just decided, I'm going to Japan to see sumo wrestling. And he just left and went to Japan for two weeks to watch sumo wrestling. Well, it wasn't just and sumo was, wrestling, if I remember correctly. It was also Japanese pro wrestling. Yeah, and it was the best. And it was the best. Uh, more fun than humans should be allowed to have. But I got his uh, his uh, his uh, latest edition of figuring it out on the fly, which is his newsletter, and um, he talked about something called the Ringo Awards. Now, when I read about the Ringo Awards, I went, "Well, it's really nice because John Paul and George have always getting awards and." Richard Starkey had never actually gotten one. And then I realized reading the article had nothing to do with that Ringo. The Ringo Awards are actually the Mike Wiringo Comic Book Industry Awards. Uh, is an annual celebration of creativity, skill, and fun of comics. Um, which are awarded every year at the Baltimore comic-con and for the fifth year it will be at the baltimore comic-con this year at the end of october and his book which is one of my all-time favorite cool books um charlie spot is nominated this year which well is well worth it too well worth it. one of the coolest books around one of the the coolest uh, and and I've we've talked about this project for what seven eight nine months and watched it grow and all this cool stuff and it's nominated for seven different uh, different things best writer uh, best artist best colorist best letterer. Best cover artist, best new series, best continuing or limited series, and best publisher. And oh my gosh, uh, how cool is that? Um, yep. So I, I'm going to throw a link into uh, tonight's show for those of you who, who bought the book, who liked the book, like me, who supported the book, who loved George. Uh, who, who love his art, who love his his film, who love his music, or who just love listening to him because he's one of the coolest guys on the planet to just sit and listen to talk for like an hour, which we've done on multiple occasions. And if you get a oh, chance, yes. click the link and give him a vote. It'd be a nice thing to do if you felt like doing it. And And... That would be cool. We'd appreciate it. I'd appreciate it. I know he would appreciate it. Uh, that would be fun. But that's the Ringo Awards. And it has nothing to do with the Fab Four. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know why it does. In any event. Tonight, I have an unpronounceable book. 
<laughs> the author, however, is not unpronounceable. Uh, he's a really interesting guy who's written a second series of books, which I would love to be able to pronounce, but I can't. And I'm sorry. And I apologize for that right off the damn bat. Uh, so let's just bring author David M. Kelly to us. David, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thanks for having me. Please give me the title of the book. So the, the first book in the series is called Quilentian Storm. Where does the title come from? Um, the title comes from um, a Native American language, Salish, which is the heritage of the lead character. His background is that he's originally a Salish Indian. And uh, the, the word itself means eagle in Salish. And um, he basically, when he sees his planet, he sees a, a landmass that reminds him of an eagle. And so that's what he decides to, uh, to name the planet. This is a very interesting book for me because it gives its birth from so many books that I've enjoyed in the past that you pay homage to the 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 Heinleins, the Asimovs, the Clarks, uh, the books that we don't see anymore. Um, the the what they called juveniles back in the 40s and 50s, what they call young adults now, but not really, because this is this is a a shoot 'em up, great hard science space novel, science fiction, uh, socioeconomic, uh, everything all together all at once. Thank you. <laughs> I'm the great part about a science fiction novel like this is it defies that pigeonhole. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and and that's what makes it wonderful. It's like as I'm reading it, I, I'm I'm thinking of things like Pokendike of Mars, have spacesuit will travel, uh, the roads must roll, all of those things in which uh, it's one person against the future, uh, societies grinding against each other, uh, looking towards a future in, in which technology uh, uh, grinds itself against itself. And and you've taken a uh, and built a future that is four steps from where we are now and believable because those steps are foreseeable and that society is foreseeable because it's built on the society that we're at now. Where did this come from for you? Uh, when I started writing, I, um, I wanted to do something kind of in the something in the future, but in the near future. Um, I didn't want it to be kind of so far into the future that nothing was recognizable. 
And so that was kind of the where I, I started. And, and the character in this book originally started in one of my other series as, as a secondary character. But um, an event in that book kind of brought him more to the forefront. And I realized I wanted to do a, a book more centered around him. And uh, really, it was um, it was just from that. It was the idea of like, you know, where could we be in sort of 150 years, perhaps, maybe sort of around there. And we have this new planet that's kind of just being settled by human beings. They don't know too much about it, but it at least it kind of like spots life. Um, but the idea behind it in terms of the, the setting is that um, um, habitable worlds aren't particularly common. And so this planet becomes kind of uh, a war zone because there's more than one people, you know, who want to take ownership of this and control it. Um, and that's really where it started. And so that's where I kind of threw my characters in and and said, find your own way out. Well, because of your background in science, knowing that there are so few actual planets revolving around actual suns that fall within the Cinderella zone that become that are in fact habitable. Yes, I mean the. I mean, there's lots of planets out there. We know that already, you know, from we've discovered a lot of exoplanets out there. But, you know, most of them are kind of too big. They're too small. They're too close to the star. They're too far away. Um, and I just have this feeling that, you know, the number of actual habitable worlds will be actually quite small. And then you add to that the socioeconomic issues between the military the in the industry and then the people so there there are three factions all working almost against each other to try and survive right yeah um yeah i mean you've got um as you said you've got the military kind of who are kind of supporting the the people who settled the planet um but, but only kind, kind of, of. <laughs> but they're kind of yeah then they're, they're not really comfortable with each other and so there's quite a lot of friction between them even though they are nominally working together and then you've got this um outside kind of force which is the the corporate invasion force who basically well they want to take over everything and 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 take this for themselves and so yeah, I mean, straight away you've got such a, a a potential conflict in this situation. And then, then you have this this group of just settlers who are there to survive, mm -hmm. who have left Earth for, and you only allude to things like societal impropriety. Uh, food riots, uh, pollution, damage to the planet uh, of origin, and the need to start over. So there's there's all kinds of background that uh, 
everybody's kind of moving out from um, that you've kind of built into this world, this planet, this new world that you're putting together. How did this come about for you? Why? Where did this come from for you? Um, it came really from uh, kind of looking at uh, what we're seeing in the world around us at the moment in terms of um, problems with the environment, um, climate change, and trying to extrapolate those and see where they might end up going. And I think there's a, a lot of danger that we're really just not going to get a grip on, on these problems and the world is going to start breaking down. And so the idea was that um, eventually, you know, when this starts to become reality, you know, people are going to want to move away if they can, because literally the, the earth itself is becoming more and more uninhabitable. And so that was kind of the background behind it. I touched on that kind of more directly in, in the first series of books, the Joe Ballon books. Um, and so then that carries over into the uh, Logan's World books and uh, sets the background for, for that. So the stories are all kind of re related in, in, in a way. And that's where we also meet a, a group of people that's also a player in this game, or at least was certainly a player in the first series, which is the Atolls, which we get to see at the very beginning of this book which I thought, I don't know, again, don't want to give anything away because I really do want people to maybe even pick up the earlier books and give them a read. Um, but it, they, what is going on with their lives and who they are is very interesting. You've created some very interesting societal groups like Dom alluded to. You've got this sort of this uh, united worlds group, you know, that's trying to you know, go out there. You've got the corporations, you've got the atolls. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Just make sure. Atolls, atolls, whichever way you, you like. Really. Atolls. Atolls. We'll go with how you pronounce it. So the atolls. But you've created all of these very interesting groups. And I love this, you know, the way I always love when an author takes the time to build up more than one societal group in the universe that he's that he or she is creating because it it it'll, it is it certainly it goes to show, you know, that there's more than there's always more than one way to look at things. And so it is really fascinating. And I guess I said, I want to kind of go back and now that I finished this book to the original series, maybe pick that up and learn more about the atolls because we only see them briefly. But you, you've created so many interesting character groups here. And I think it's it does help you know make this feel like a larger world so that when I step into the first few chapters of this book I'm realizing I'm stepping into a fairly large world here it's not it's not just a here you are here's the planet you know like Dome said because like you know Dome kind of refer reference it as a space opera and to me space operas they can be you know they they, they can be really good and they can be kind of hokey and this one is definitely really on the really good end of things because there is so much depth to what's going on around it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, one of the things I, I wanted to try and do in all of my books is um, have a, a a good complexity of characters and and uh, cultures because I think you know 
there's a tendency sometimes in in science fiction to to be a little bit kind of um, mono directional and yep. and I like I like stories where you have people with le different layers of complexities. Um, one of the, the the shows that I really liked when it was on was uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and one of the things about that was like the the really amazing complexity and, and depth of characters that they had on the show, which for me made it like you know the best of the Star Trek series ever. Um, and so when I started writing, I, I wanted to bring in that kind of depth. And so I don't typically, for instance, have um, kind of, you know, mustache twirling bad guys and things like that. You know, people do evil things, but they have their reasons for doing them. You know, p other people do good things and they have their reason for doing them. But, but nobody's kind of ever sort of completely good or completely bad. And uh, I think that makes a much more interesting story uh, and a much interest, more interesting world to, to put stories into. The character of Logan Two Feathers is a fascinating character. Um, who is nominally, and I don't know if I'm correct in saying this, but I'm going to stick my head out and say it anyway, who is nominally a pacifist in a war zone. Yeah. Yeah, Logan doesn't, he doesn't want to fight. He's not, uh, he's not a brawler. He would tend, he would tend to try and sort of talk through things and, and debate issues rather than, you know, actually start fighting for things. And he's kind of thrown into this situation where he's really got no choice. And that, again, was kind of part of one of the things that I uh, I thought was would make it very interesting. In, in, in reading this book, huh, there were moments... where he reminded me of the character, Highland's character, Thorby Balsam, whom you may or may not recognize. Yes, I do. And at the same time, and Frank. <laughs> and I know okay, how weird I that... I want to see how you make this connection. I've heard in 521 episodes, I've heard some weird connections, but I want to see you make this connection here, Dope. That, that's an interesting one. <laughs> Be, and, and the reason that worked for me is, in as much as the world collapse or collapsed around Logan in horrific detail, he just really just refused to acknowledge the horror of it for as long as he possibly could. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he's he's a very straight-laced character and 
and quite moralistic in, in some ways, although in a very soft sense. And he he feeds very much off his beliefs. And he's his background is as an engineer. And so, you know, engineers have a tendency to try and make the world the way that they want it to be rather than the way that it, <laughs> that it is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of what comes through, um, I think, on on his character. He uh, he wants the world to be as he wants it to be, not the way that it's turning out to be. And that puts him into a lot of um, situations that, where he's very conflicted. That makes this world a lot more dangerous than it normally would have to be as well. Puts himself and those around him in a lot more jeopardy uh, because of what he chooses to believe he has to do. Um, I found the character uh, wonderfully complex, wonderfully moralistic, and because of his Native American background, which you hammer at constantly, and I love the way that you do it, the way that you keep bringing it back. Um, never lets the reader forget that there's a background here that can't be left out. That there's there's a there's a framework here that must be kept in place. Um, it just is wonderful from the reader's point of view. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think his background is important, very important. It's important to him as a character. And I I would never try and say that I could speak for um, Native American people, um, but at least I can try and understand kind of some of what they've gone through and think and the issues that af- affect them. Some and quite often affect them, you know, on a daily basis. And so, although that's not kind of a core theme, sort of, of the book overall, it's still a theme that has to be very strong in there to make that character uh, appear authentic, because that's the world that he lives in. It's uh, it's a. It's a framework that you build from the very beginning of the book. And it uh, there are a number of points throughout the book, and I'm going to try and do this without putting a spoiler into it. <laughs> there are a number of points throughout the book where it could be dropped, where it could be bent, where it could be broken. And you choose not to do it. And that's kind of the purity of that character. And that's kind of the purity of the intent of the book. And that's why that's one of the reasons I really enjoyed it. Um, That that this. They don't build characters like this much anymore. You know what I mean? Well, thank you. I I take that as as an immense compliment. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I um, 
I mean, I, I've read a lot of Heinlein. I've read a lot of Asimov, Clark, you know, the classic sci-fi kind of authors. And certainly that's contributed to the way I put stories together and put characters together. Um, and one of the things that I always you know, loved about those books was the sort of the richness of the characters that they created and the believability and authenticity of the characters that they created. So I guess that's kind of where I try and com come from. The other thing that you do is that like a lot of Arthur C. Clarke books, you throw in an awful lot of reasonable technology. For example, the EM cloak, mm -hmm. which essentially in some form exists now. Not well, but it exists now. Mm -hmm. And you've extrapolated it out to how it should exist in 100 years and 150 years and make it work. Right. In the same well, way that Clark in 1945 extrapolated out what a communication satellite should be and how it should work. And he's absolutely right. And that's how it works now. So, I mean, you know, there's when, when, you, when you were talking about, you know, those uh, Clark Heinlein, those guys being your kind of your basis points for starting out, it makes sense because the technology that you're using in there is, is that same kind of, well, here's where we are. And it also makes sense for you, given your background in technology, that you can look at where we are now and go, in 150 years, here's where we should be, here's where we can be, here's where we might be, and here's what it could be, should be, might be doing. It takes a lot of research sometimes. <laughs> um, you know, we, I mean, it would be really nice to be able to say, well, it just all comes from my head, but a lot of it is, you know, it's hard work. You know, you have to, you have to look at what's out there and 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 actually, you know, do some research and and figure out where things, you know, might be going. And so I, I have a tendency to do quite a lot of uh, research for for the books, and a lot of it doesn't actually end up in the books. It, it just kind of like gets slipped in here and there to to get things across. But I don't I don't put uh, you know big volumes of technical data in there because I think if if I did that that would take away from the pace and I, and I I really want to try and keep them you know fast paced and and moving forward all the time but the beauty of it is that what you do is make sure that it works <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah you give us just enough so that we realize that what you're talking about is possible without getting into heavy detail and I love that part one of the other things without giving away any spoilers here is you you talk about you know 
small little things, you know, basically the the extension of uh, the um, things we're creating nowadays to build things, little basic mini factories that can roll out mini things, you know, so you, and you can do whatever you need them to do. And, you know, the, the, when I was reading that portion, I'm thinking, well, we already have some of that today. Mm-hmm. And so, we, again, it's that extension to the next step of, you know, building the things you need, especially if you're going to be on a planet like this, you know, and you need to survive. You're going to need something like that that's going to help you build the things you need. So when you wrote that into the story, I'm reading that going, yeah, that's believable. You know, it, it, we have things like that today. That they're very simplistic. But in the future, I could see what you've created, what you've written there being a strong possibility in the future. So, yeah, no, I've lo- I loved all the technology you put in here. I've just yeah, got I, one. Bit. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. You first. No, no I, was, I, I was just going to say, um, I mean, you look at the, the kind of w- the worlds of additive manufacturing now, uh, 3D printing and, and, you know, that kind of technology. I mean, that's already having a big impact on us. And if you think of being kind of on another planet or even on a spaceship kind of, you know, millions of miles away from kind of home base, I mean, you're going to need that kind of technology um, because you're not going to be able to predict what you're going to need necessarily. So you need something that can make things, but you're going to need something that can make things in a very flexible way. And so... You know, that's where you get the extrapolation um, on the technology and say, right, so by that time, we should be able to do this. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, because I I was actually, I wanted you to finish your thought because I was going to (laughs) go off on a tangent here. So one of the things I've loved is that tangents are excellent. Tangents are what we build this (laughs) podcast around. (laughs) So, but yes, it's one of the things that, I love is you've got some interesting characters and interesting things going on. Even by the very end, you've got some interesting. Oh, dear. I do, how do I phrase this without creating any potential spoilers? But you have some interesting re- interpersonal relationships between certain characters that Dome and I were discussing before we even brought you in, on the air here with us. And. Well, yes, we were. (laughs) uh, I am honestly, well, I already know the answer because I've gotten to the end of the book, but, um, and seen the stuff at the end, but I am honestly really hoping that there is another book in this series and maybe another one, hint, 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 because I would like to learn a little bit more about where some (laughs) of this might be going. Uh, Yeah, I, it was, as I say, it was kind of interesting how the book developed because Originally, this was a spin-off from from the earlier series, and my original intention was actually just to do the one novel um, about the planet and what happened there. Um, but I, I, and this, I, I have to say, this happens with a lot of my books, so you know it's not too unusual in that sense. But it's like as I was kind of working on on the first book, and, and certainly as I got to the end of the 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 first um, um, the first Logan book, um, I kind of realized there was too much story for for the one book. Um, and so yeah, the uh, the second book is uh, coming out in June, June the seventh. Sweet. 
so that's book two and i'm actually currently in the middle of writing book three so yeah your, your wishes are answered <laughs> sweet okay i look forward to these next two books and seeing if uh some uh, th uh theories or at least some theories don't put out uh come to come to pass so yeah we, so, we have way too many of these damn theories <laughs> oh, we, 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 every book we read we have theories especially if there's going if, they, if it isn't a, a if it is an ongoing series set of books you know if it's just a one and done yeah but our theories don't mean anything but you know if, if there's going to be more books we have theories galore <laughs> Well, I hope that I confound those theories, actually, and, and surprise you even more. <laughs> I hope you do, too. Some of my favorite authors we've had on the podcast, uh, I think they, if they're listening, they know who they are. Uh, I'm thinking of a couple right now. Enjoy uh, trying to confound me on a regular basis. So. <laughs> yeah, BS. We're not talking about anybody in particular yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah, that's one. That's the first one I thought of. There's a couple others, but yes. <laughs> so. So here's the, here's the deal. Uh, somebody wrote a series of Joe Ballin books and then decided he was going to write a spin-off spin of that called uh, the Logan's World Series <clears throat> with an unpronounceable title. <laughs> Which I will attempt one more time called Quellingen Storm. Which is close. That's close. <laughs> And, and damn, it's a good book uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, it's got good characters. It's got a good story. It's got a it's got a great beat. You could dance to it. I'd give it a 90. But uh, unfortunately, American Bandstand isn't on anymore. Um, <laughs> and and it's it's more fun than than listening to. Uh, Dirty Limericks because it's great and it's it's good fun <laughs> uh, and it's it's David M Kelly guys and and thanks a lot for being on the show. Oh, thanks very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And I can't wait for book two to come out next week or next month. And I can't wait to have you back again. That would be great. I'd love to come back. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Oh, thank you. Hi-Fi Saturday Night is made possible with the support of Granite Con and Double Midnight Comics, Plastic City Comic Con, the Upper Valley Comic Expo, Dreamforge Anvil and Dreamforge Magazine, and Comic Art House. If you're looking for a great gift idea, may we suggest Sci-Fi Saturday Night's anthology My Peculiar Family, available on Amazon. The audiobook is also available on Audible. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. Check out all of his amazing work at robwattsonline.com. Our outro music was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Their discography is available on Bandcamp. Thank you so much, Jojo. This is Dome saying shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. So unless it's daytime, good night, everyone. That sounds... Good. That sounds perfect. <laughs>